Welcome to this time of worship from Trinity Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas. Today's message is from our pastor, Dr. Buckner Fanning. Let this message enlighten you, brighten your day, and bring you closer to God. Now enjoy today's message from Dr. Buckner Fanning. Marvelous prophecy from Isaiah. And we read it together in unison. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of the increase and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's join hands as we join hearts and minds together. Dear God, we have an inadequate vocabulary to express our eternal gratitude for the incomparable gift of life to us through your Son. Dear God, we have heard the story so often. We have read it, we have sung it. May all of us listen today as if it were the first time we had ever heard it. May it be as fresh as the morning rain. May it lift our spirits, may it open our eyes to new truths, to a deeper insight, to a greater love. Father, may none of us be in this hour of worship a spectator watching, but be a participant experiencing your presence. For this is our prayer, even as we pray this prayer to you, the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Dear Lord Jesus, help us to see that we're not dealing with fiction, but with facts. As real as a baby, as real as a grown man, as real as a resurrected Savior. Dear Lord, may the impact of what you have done and are doing, may the impact of your presence touch us at a deeper level than we have heretofore experienced. We ask for your sake. Amen. Is that baby really God? Just some sort of fairy tale? Legend? Some story men made up, read to children? Was that little baby in that barn really God? It's all right to ask that question because John the Baptist and Jesus declared to be the finest and greatest man ever born of woman. After Jesus had begun his ministry, John the Baptist, as you know, had baptized him. And John the Baptist, like all of the Jews of that day, had expected the Messiah to come as a military conqueror to overthrow Rome and set the, the people of God free and set up a, a, a theocracy. 
So John the Baptist had some questions because Jesus did not seem to be fitting the pattern of the messianic expectation of the Jews of that day. So John was in prison because of his courageous preaching. And so John sent some messengers to talk to Jesus. You can read it in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Luke, page 1022 in your Bible in the book rack if you want to follow, beginning with the 18th verse. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Are you really the Messiah? That's what he's asking. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers. Notice the wonderful, gentle, positive way in which Jesus responded to these questions. You go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. That satisfied John the Baptist. What reason do you have for believing this? What reason do you have for believing that this baby... Jesus is truly the incarnate, eternal, everlasting God wrapped in human flesh. Do you have some reasons that you could give? If someone were to ask you, well, it's biblical to ask the question because the question is here in 1 Peter, the third chapter, the eighth verse, page 1202, if you want to follow on the Bible in the book rack in front of you. Listen. Always be prepared, Peter tells us. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, the faith that you have, the trust that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. What reasons can you list in your mind if someone were to ask you? I want to mention four. The first is the prophetic proclamations of men who lived hundreds of years before Christ. I mean at least over 400 years before any of them wrote. They very seldom did any of them even know each other. They did not live in the same time frame. But prophecies were made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. Let me list some of these from various prophetic proclamations of men whom God inspired to write these words and see if they fit this baby. Here are the prophecies. The time of his coming, the place of his birth, that he was to be born of a virgin, that he was to be the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a descendant of the tribe of Judah and the house of David, 
the massacre of innocent babies at the time of his birth by Herod. They didn't mention Herod. They only mentioned the massacre of innocent babies. His ministry in Galilee, a prophet, a priest, rejection by the Jews and Gentiles, his purification of the temple when he cleansed the temple, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, his betrayal by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, his vicarious suffering, his death with criminals, the piercing of his hands and feet, when he was crucified, the piercing of his hands and feet, the insult and mocking, the offer of gall and vinegar, which he was offered on the cross, the casting of lots for his garments, which they did at the foot of the cross, the fact that not a bone of him was to be broken, his burial with the rich, his resurrection, his ascension, every one of those fulfilled by this baby, this eternal God wrapped in human flesh in a manger. Abraham, you're a man of faith. Yes, he said. But there's one with greater faith than I. He is coming. Moses, you're a great leader. Well, maybe so. But there's a greater leader than I. He's coming. David, you're the incomparable king. Well, maybe. But there's a greater king than I. King of kings. Who's coming? Solomon, all of your wisdom, we look to you for insight. Well, sometimes, but there's one wiser than I. He's coming. Isaiah, princely, aristocratic prophet. Well, maybe there's a greater prophet than I. He's coming. Elijah, fiery preacher. Yes, there's a greater preacher than I, and he is coming. John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born of one, declared, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God, which has come to take away the sins of the world. He came as prophesied by the centuries. One reason, prophecy. Another reason is because of Jesus' personal claim. His personal claim. We regularly at times hear people say, well, I don't believe that Jesus is divine. I do not believe that he was God incarnate, but I do believe he was a good man. You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Good men tell the truth. And Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. 
the Father and I are one. Jesus was either who he said he was or he was a deluded dreamer or a fraud. Dr. James R., outstanding theologian of a century ago, wrote these words, and I quote, He claims to be the Messiah, the fulfiller of the law and the prophets, the founder of the kingdom of God, the supreme legislator and head of that kingdom. He, through faith in whom salvation is to be obtained, the one who demands as no other is entitled to do the absolute and undivided surrender of the heart to himself, he forgives sins with divine authority, is the giver of the Holy Spirit, ascribes an expiatory virtue to his death, anticipates his resurrection and return in glory, announces himself as the appointed judge of the world, this claim of Christ to be the final judge of the world, his repeated declarations of his future return and the glory of his Father and his own glory and the glory of the holy angels, the parables he spoke in which he makes the ultimate destinies of men depend upon their relation to himself, are these to be explained away as mere figurative assurances of the ultimate triumph of his cause? All of these statements and their verification in the lives of people constitute a claim which must either be believed or Christ be pronounced the victim of an extravagant hallucination. You choose. I choose. I believe he knew who he was and declared. The third reason, the evidence of history. A young Jewish carpenter who grew up the little town of Nazareth. At 30, 30 years of age, he began traveling around the country, teaching, preaching, telling stories, parables, performing miracles, doing some incredible things, accumulated huge crowds following him, who were finding in him a hope they'd never had a friend like they'd never met, an acceptance like they had never experienced. But he began to upset the political and religious authorities of the day. He had become a nuisance. So they liquidated him. Now, in those three short years, he had developed a strong group of people who believed in him, followed him, put their faith and trust in him, left their work, their occupation, to follow him. And the night before he died, he uh, had a group of them together in an upper room, broke some bread in the cup. He gave it to them and he said, this is bread like my body. This is a cup of wine like my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Now think about it. And he went out from that room to die. 2,000 years later, hundreds of millions of people all over the world, every week or every day or every month, millions upon millions upon millions for 2,000 years have believed that man and obeyed that command. There's absolutely nothing to equal that in the history of the world. If Jesus didn't die and rise again, what happened? These people were terrified. When Jesus was arrested, they scattered like winter's withered leaves. They ran, they hid, they locked themselves, it says. They locked themselves behind closed doors. They thought they were next. Some of them couldn't even find. But then something happened. And something that happened was something else. He was raised from the dead by the power of God, the conqueror of death and the grave, the victor, king of kings, lord of lords. And what happened? These fallible, frail, timid, cowardly men and women suddenly became bold as lions and they went out in the streets, began to preach and to witness and most of them lost their lives because of their commitment to him. Would they do that to, to perpetuate a myth? Would they do that to say, let's start a religion? No, they did it because he started something new in them. And they had become new persons. And they became as bold as lions. And they faced the fierce hatred of Rome and the intellectual power of Greece and conquered both of them. Rome is in ruins. Plato's academy is dissolved. School is out in Athens in the golden age of Greece. But this strangely powerful fellowship of the kingdom of God marches on unhindered by the powers of hell itself. And I propose to you that there is nothing in the world to equal this incredible phenomenon. The history of what's happened for 2,000 years is to me an irrefutable verification of Jesus. This baby was God and this God. Like some of you, I've been to Rome and other places in the world. I've been to the Roman Colosseum and to the Circus Maximus and have stood there for, as you have, some of you, where martyrs' blood ran deep. I remember standing in a street in Oxford in England, one of the main streets, and in the pavement they have make, made something of a cross of white, out of white stone. And it's, the cars pass over it all the time. I'm sure many people do not know why it's there, what it signifies. But there on that main street in Oxford many years ago, two men, Latimer and Ridley, were burned at the stake 
because they believed and had the audacity to proclaim the fact that we are saved by grace alone. John Huss, head of the Department of Philosophy at Charles University, preacher at Bethlehem Chapel, burned at the stake because he had the audacity to say, we're saved by faith alone. William Tyndall, kidnapped because he'd had to escape to Europe to finish translating the Bible into the English language. And only 3,000 copies were smuggled back into England. And they finally found him and kidnapped him and strangled him and burned him to death because he had the audacity to translate the Bible into the language you and I can read. 90% of the King James Version was lifted almost en masse from the translation of William Tyndale's Bible in 1526. And I say to you that every drop of martyr's blood and every flicker of persecuting flame cries out for an answer, and I believe the answer comes reverberating across the centuries when God thundered his voice and said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And we ignore that word at the peril of our own souls. Fourth reason, person. Thomas, in a way, is pretty much the representative of all of us in one degree or another. Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus appeared the first time in the upper room when he came through the door and they saw him and they couldn't believe it. You can imagine. It's impossible for us to imagine. It's impossible for us to comprehend what went on when they saw him. And Thomas was not there and Thomas came back and they told him about it and he said, oh, I, I don't think I... Goodness, boy, I, I hope so, but I just don't... I can't believe that... He didn't say, I, can, I, I can't believe, I will believe that if. He said, I can't believe that unless. I see the nail prints in his hand and the wound in his side. So a few days later, accommodating as he always was and is, Thomas present on this occasion, Jesus came in the room through the door. He walked over to Thomas, and I don't know because it doesn't say so in the scripture, but I just had the feeling that he walked over, and he had a big smile on his face. And he looked at Thomas, stuck out his hand. Thomas exclaimed, My Lord, my God. Not the Lord. That's true. My Lord. Not a God. My God. Martin Luther said the strength of the Christian religion is in his personal pronouns. He's correct. My Lord. My God. 
I pray that every one of us in this room can make the same declaration or will. Look at this baby who is God and explain with Thomas, my Lord, my God. Those scars. I think those scars in his hand become the birthmark of a new creation, of a new man, a new person, a new family. He died so that we might live, that he might live in us. Is Jesus God? Prophecy predicts it. Personal claim reaffirms it. History underlines it. Personal experience makes it for me irreputable. This past week I was relating a story. It just sort of came out of the nature of the conversation. I related the story of something that happened to me in 19, late 1945 or 46 when I was still in Marine Corps and in the Pacific. I was telling this story and I got to thinking about it as I was telling it. I'm talking about somebody else. Now, it, it was kind of hard for me to tell it because I'm not the person I wrote. And it was almost like I was describing it some other one, some other person's event, some other person's experience. But it was mine. Well, I thank God. I'm not what I used to be. But I also thank God. He's going to help me be the kind of person I want to be. And so I'm here to give my own personal testimony. I believe that baby is the incarnate, eternal God. As the star that raced across the heavens, point out his birthplace. As the star. As the stormy sea went to sleep. When he spoke the sweet lullaby of peace, be still. Ask the son that at midday, when Jesus died on the cross, covered his face with a mantle of grief and the world went dark. All nature responded with grief. Ask the son. Ask the lepers that he healed. Ask the blind men to whom he gave sight. Ask the crippled that he made whole. The deaf that were made to hear. The dead that were made to rise. Ask them. Ask the rejected who are now accepted. Ask the sinful 
and rebellious who are now forgiven. Ask them. Why? I believe these beautiful flowers breathe it. Stars shine it. The redeemed celebrate it. The angels rise from their thrones on wings of light to announce it. He is God. And all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him this baby. Crown him this man. Crown him this resurrected Christ. Crown him Lord of all. And do it today if you've never done it. Affirm it today if you've never affirmed it. Express it today by being part of the church that he gave himself for. Do it today. Do it today. As we sing God's invitation, I'll be here to greet you. Come to this baby God who will be the God who raises you from the dead if you will but trust him. He is God. And he, not Buckner, he invites you. Come. I'll be here to greet you.